Since its launch in 2014, Operation Car Wash presented itself as a much-needed offensive against Brazil's deeply corrupt political establishment. With flair and spectacle, prosecutors cracked down on corrupt ties between companies and political parties. Investigators were compared to Elliot Ness and the Untouchables, and the main judge trying all car wash-related cases became something of a legend. Sergio Moro rose to stardom and has been called a superman, literally. But the legend might never have been created without the operation's carefully thought-out strategy of leaking selected information to the press in order to corner politicians and gather popular support. In a country so accustomed to corruption and impunity, it wasn't that hard. But now, Operation Car Wash's weapon of choice has been used against its members. Thousands of messages exchanged between prosecutors and Sergio Moro, who is now Jair Bolsonaro's Minister of Justice, cast doubt on the legality of several convictions. Leaks allowed Operation Car Wash to become one of the most popular institutions in the public eye. Now, leaks could cause its demise. My name is Gustavo Ribeiro, editor-in-chief of the Brazilian Report. This is Explaining Brazil. A few weeks ago, we received from an anonymous source contact saying that they had very serious information from the Operation Car Wash. This is Andrew Fishman, managing editor of The Intercept Brazil, a news website founded by Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Glenn Greenwald. On Sunday, June 9, The Intercept published four stories about the private messages between prosecutors and the judge. We'll let him explain the whole thing. We received these internal chats from the Car Wash Task Force. It's a huge, huge amount of information. Uh, as we report in the article, in one of the articles, just one of the chat logs is would be 1,700 pages of a book. I mean, and that's just one very small part of everything that we've received. The first reports show the prosecutors' disdain for the Workers' Party. And the waters get muddier when we talk about the case of former President Lula, the operation's sort of white whale. Lula was the most popular and polarizing figure in Brazilian politics and was poised to win the presidency for a third time. But a criminal conviction and subsequent arrest took him out of the electoral game. In these chats, uh, we found serious misconduct, uh, ethical violations, Uh, you know, I'm not a Brazilian lawyer, but the uh, many commentators who have read our reporting said that there are clear illegalities in the in what happened and what in in, the, in what they were doing, what we revealed, and what we revealed was one. After Lula was uh, was was convicted and, and put into jail, and he had already designated uh, his successor Fernando Haddad to run for the presidency in his in his stead. Um, He, the Supreme Court granted Lula a, an interview with Folha de São Paulo newspaper, the, one of the, the biggest newspaper in Brazil. Um, and 
they were very, very upset when they saw the news, the, the, the Lava Jato task force. They said that, uh, you know, this is terrible. We can't allow this to happen. They're made, the, the Supreme Court's making a mockery of us. He's going to be able to give all these interviews. This could help Fernando Haddad win the election. And one of the uh, prosecutors said, you know, mafiosos, you know, like criminals, uh, and all, you know, extended and with exclamation marks. And then they started plotting ways to, that they could either uh, push back the interview until after the election or find a way to, uh, you know, maybe dampen the impact. Maybe instead of just letting Folia do the interview, you have 20 outlets do, it, do an interview and then it will, you know, it'll break the rhythm and it'll make it more of a mess and it'll be, it'll be harder to get headlines. Or maybe they could find a way to even push back against it. In the end... Uh, a political party, the Novel Party, uh, uh, put in a, a complaint into the Supreme Court, and they were able to get the the interview pushed back. And only recently was Lula f- finally able to give public interviews, long after the election was over. Uh, so that's the first story. The second story is that um, it involves the case that Lula was convicted on, which is uh, he was accused of receiving a triplex beachfront apartment in the city of Guarujá in the state of Sao Paulo, which is worth like about $1.2 million more or less. And he was accused of receiving that apartment as a bribe from the OAS uh, construction company in exchange for facilitating millions of dollars in in contracts for them with Petrobras, which is the state-controlled oil company that he would have sway and able to to do that. However, what we saw in their chats, you know, from four days before, three days before, two days before, even you know, the night before they, they announced their indictment, that they had serious doubts over the quality of their evidence. Uh, the first serious doubt was over whether they could actually pin this to uh, anything to do with Petrobras and uh, as you know, as a quid pro quo, there's no there's no physical evidence. The only evidence they have was based on uh, testimony from from other people that were that gave uh, depositions in in exchange for for sentencing leniency because they were already implicated in in this massive Petrobras corruption scandal. Uh, and so they're they're communicating between themselves, saying we're not sure if uh, if if we can really if this holds up. However. If, it, if they weren't able to pin it to this Petrobras scheme, then the, the prosecution would have fallen out of their jurisdiction. And so it was essential for them to argue this case, uh, that argue that there was the, the link. But it was, it was very weak, and they were admitting in their, in their chats that it was weak, and they're trying to find ways to see if they could strengthen it. But that's far from the most problematic thing The Intercept revealed. I mean, unlike in the U.S., Brazilian prosecutors' job is not necessarily to get a conviction. It's more to determine whether or not a defendant is guilty and request their conviction or acquittal depending on the case. But even if the prosecutors stepped out of bounds, which it seems they clearly did, isn't this why we're meant to have judges? To keep the playing field equal? Now, the third story which I think is probably the most significant. It's based on a series of conversations over two years and one month with, between Judge Sergio Moro and the chief prosecutor, Deltan Dallagnol. And in these conversations, it's very, very clear that Sergio Moro is crossing the line between uh, being a judge 
and being a prosecutor. As a judge in Brazil, as in any you know, civilized uh, judicial system that's based on the accusatory model, which is basically all of them uh, in the modern world, that the person who judges the case needs to be neutral, needs to be impartial, and needs to be removed from the, the process of, of the investigation. You're, you're, you're hearing two sides of a story, and you need to be impartial in, in judging which, which side is, is telling the truth. Um, you know, there's no jury in this trial. It was just the judge that was making the, the sentencing. And over the course of two years and one month, Moro is, is telling the prosecutors, you know, maybe you should switch the order of the of operations that you're running, the search warrants that you're running, uh, you know, to get additional evidence in, in this case. There was a case that he didn't approve of the federal police's work. He said, you know, you're putting the operation at risk, so you have to be very careful. In In another case... He was saying that uh, the, the, the PT, the Workers' Party, put out a note attacking Lava Jato, and he said, what do you think of this? How should we respond? Uh, and I think the we is very, uh, is very uh, it explains his frame of mind quite well. You know, it should not be we. He is not a member of Lava Jato. He's the judge judging their case. And yet when he's speaking internally with them, he says we as if he was, uh, you know, part of this, uh, which he really shouldn't be. After the reports were published, both Modo and Operation Car Wash denied any wrongdoing. They called the article sensationalist, saying the messages were taken out of context, and more importantly, that they were the result of a criminal act perpetrated by a hacker, who had allegedly stolen the conversation logs from one of the prosecutor's phones. Unfortunately, we don't talk about the, you know, the nature of of information that we get from anonymous sources as a means to protect our, our sources. However, uh, we should remember something very important, that uh, Moro, when he was a judge, he allowed the illegal wiretapping of the president of Brazil, uh, which, is, which was Dilma Rousseff at the time. And there was a conversation between her and Lula where she was offering him a ministerial position. Um, and the argument was that she was doing it as a way to give him legal protections uh, to get him out of Lava Jato's uh, uh, jurisdiction. However, the, the wiretap had, ex- had expired, but he allowed the, the federal police to continue the wiretap going many days beyond the expiration date. So it, was, it became an illegal wiretap. And then he approved the uh, the release of this tap at a, at a very important political moment. And this was widely criticized, and eventually even Moro had to you know, walk it back and apologize and set, acknowledge that he had made a mistake. So, but he used uh, an illegally obtained uh, wiretap and essentially leaked it to the press as a way to... Um, you know, to protect, to further his, his political interests. And Lava Jato Task Force supported it, and a lot of people supported it. And these are the same people that are saying that, oh, well, this is illegally obtained information, and so therefore it's inadmissible, you can't use it, it's not, it's not appropriate, we shouldn't even be discussing it. So there's a, there's a huge irony in that. Let's make something clear. No one outside of The Intercept knows right now if the information comes from a hacker. I mean, it could come from a disgruntled person who was in one of these messaging groups. But even if the source of the material comes from an illegal act, it doesn't mean the website did anything wrong. Neither from a journalistic point of view or even from a legal standpoint. 
What is important, uh, according to the legal scholars that uh, I've talked to and that I've heard from, is that it doesn't matter where the the information comes from, legal, illegal, um, whatever, as long as it's public information and it's true. After the break, the legal implications of the car wash leaks. Of every 100 spam messages sent in the world, five come from Brazil. And spam is not only annoying, it poses a real security threat for companies with their conspicuous links. If you want to protect your company's environment, team up with FastHelp. FastHelp is a Brasilia-based IT company that is focused on cybersecurity. Go to fasthelp.com.br for more information. fasthelp.com.br I think that the cases should be all of them revealed. Guilherme Ziliani Carnelos is a director at the Institute for the Right of Defense. To, to be certain about it, you have to look case by case. By what we see in Lula's case, it's, there's a possibility of reviewing, reviewing the case. Uh, this is malpractice. A judge cannot guide anyone. It, it would be very, very clear if we were talking about a defense attorney colluding with the judge. Sergio Moto supporters say he was tough but fair when on the bench. But defense attorneys, including Guilherme Carnelos, believe otherwise. Let me try to, to make myself clear. Uh, every judge has to be impartial, right? And from the very beginning of Lava Jato operation in 2014, uh, all of the defense attorneys were uh, uh, questioning uh, modus partiality in the case, because from that moment, it was already clear that he was not making decisions uh, out of the evidence, out of evidences in the, in the process. He was making decisions with a preconceived purpose to reach goals. And his goals were always uh, to convict persons coming from companies. And this was clear from the very beginning. Every request the defense would do would be denied uh, very quickly. What is interesting about this case is not that Sergio Moto may have gone rogue. Actually, Carnelo says, many judges have similar conduct, quarterbacking prosecutors and acting more as inquisitors rather than neutral umpires. Some judges in Brazil... Uh, want to have their Sergio Moro day. I've seen many, many preposterous things that happen. Judges stating themselves as uh, fighters against corruption. Judges don't fight. Judges rule. And for a trial to be fair, for fairness to take place, uh, a judge cannot fight anything. Who fights corruption are the prosecutor and the deputies. For Operation Car Wash, Sergio Modo based himself on another high-profile investigation. But apparently, he has learned all the wrong lessons from his role model. We'll be right back.
Did you know that Brazil is the country with the second highest number of ransomware attacks in the world? That's when hackers try to steal your data and then ask for a ransom for their return. Perhaps the good people of FastHelp can help you avoid these unwelcome attacks. FastHelp is a Brasilia-based IT company that is focused on cybersecurity. Protect your business by teaming up with FastHelp. Go to fasthelp.com.br for more information on how to protect your company's virtual space. Since its early days, Operation Car Wash has drawn many comparisons to an investigation launched in Italy in 1992 known as Manipuliti or the Clean Hands Operation. 17 febbraio 1992. Mario Chiesa, esponente del Partito Socialista Milanese e presidente del Pio Albergo Trivulzio. The comparisons were always welcomed in Brazil and Sergio Moto even prefaced a book about the Italian probe. And indeed, the parallels are everywhere to be found. Basically, it started with a... a Social, investigations into uh, a minor mid-ranking figure in the Socialist Party and the Socialist Party in Italy at that at that time was more or less a, a centrist or even centre-right party. Alex Hohuli is a writer and researcher based in Brazil and he hosts the Alpha Bunga Bunga podcast. I hope I said it correctly. If politics is your thing, make sure to check it out. This guy Mario Chiesa, who is in, in charge of a of a public hospice was channeling money and really the sums that were that were being the the transactions were actually relatively small but as they start exploring that it explodes because Mario Chiesa gets kind of thrown under the bus by the socialist party and what ends up happening is that uh, they start using plea bargains which had only recently become available to prosecutors at that time. Similar again to Brazil, where this use of plea bargains is able to roll the ball up the hill, as it were, so that every person who gets charged tells on their erstwhile, uh, erstwhile colleagues and comrades and explodes the whole system of corruption. But I think what's amazing when you actually study both the early 90s in Italy and contemporary Brazil is how many contextual similarities there are. So it's maybe worth mentioning a couple of those. Firstly, in Italy then, you had a a great cultural concern with becoming a normal country, uh, in, in quotation marks. And and that's something that we can find, obviously, in, in a, a correlate to that in Brazil today. So this idea of becoming a normal country is that one can be, you can start to resemble superior countries. That's what normal means. That's what that that's the work that normal does in that context. So it's a country which is less corrupt, uh, which doesn't have problems of organized crime. Uh, it has uh, improved the sense of bureaucratic slowness, of administrative inefficiency, the lack of respect for the law, uh, even perhaps a lack of patriotism, a lack of public spiritedness from public officials. Uh, this, of course, will all sound familiar to Brazilian ears because these are very common recurrent complaints about Brazil itself, about the political culture of Brazil and just the day-to-day operations of, of administration in Brazil as well, of business as well. So these contextual similarities are, are very important because when the uh, Manipulita investigation starts, it actually get, garners a huge amount of public support because it seems that finally here is someone acting in the independent public interest to get rid of corruption, to get rid of all these things that hold Italy back and stop it being a quote-unquote normal country. Um, 
And the both the explosion of protests in 2013 in Brazil and then the support for Lava Jato once it gets uh, once it gets going in 2014 resemble the Italian case quite a lot. Uh, this real public sense of of uh, that here's a moment which will explode this bankrupt political system that things will finally start improving that will we, that will be um, get past the kind of old corrupt order. Uh, and the old linkages between business and politics that make the state seem so immobile. While Money Politi did go after corrupt elected officials, it ended up having a negative side effect. It paved the way for the rise of right-wing populist Silvio Berlusconi. Many say that today's Italy is actually more corrupt than it was before. In Brazil, Operation Car Wash has left its own mess along the way. If you have a judicialization of politics, that politics becomes subject to widespread anti-corruption investigations, you also end up with a politicization of justice. And that's, I think, what is perhaps the saddest uh, end of Lava Jato, is that per- precisely what Lava Jato was meant to do, which was uphold respect for the law um, and to encourage perhaps a greater public spiritedness in public administration, what you end up happening is that you end up with the judiciary more politicized than ever uh, and more and less seen as a an arm of the impartial state, which can adjudicate impartially between different competing factions, but instead is seen to be just as factionalized as politics is. Um, and the where I think the Manipulite guys wouldn't, you couldn't hold them to account for that because they couldn't have known. Moro so self-consciously modeled his investigation on Manipulite, he should have known, and I, I assume he did know, that these were the consequences. And yet he didn't do enough to guard against it. In fact, as these revelations shown uh, have shown, he was so politicized and didn't heed the, the warnings of, of what happened in Italy. So, you know, you can play the politicization game to try to get the investigation off the ground to garner public support, but that politicization will come and, you know, bite you on the ass at the end of the day. And that's what I think we're we're finding now with these revelations. When you read the reactions to the Intercept's report, people seem to cluster around two extremes. Either we are against Operation Car Wash, ergo complacent with corruption, or we are for cracking down on corruption even when this means breaking the law in the process. And it's a tricky situation, and it's not one that there's an obvious answer to. I, what I would say is that, one, to draw back, uh, to refer back to Italy, that they, they have a term in Italy called spregiugicato, which means unprejudiced, but which has come to take a second meaning, which means unscrupulous. So it almost has uh, a morally opposite meaning. And that term came to embody the hypocrisy of Italian politics, the idea of being a, a justicero, right, a sort of righteous avenger, a crusader of justice, while at the same time, at the same time being unscrupulous and unjust. And I guess that's what you get with the case of, of Sergio Moro and, and the Lava Jato task force, which is that they're, uh, on the one hand, seen and have acted as uh, sort of righteous crusaders for justice, while at the same time having bent, bent the rules to the extent that they are seen as unscrupulous and therefore bring uh, the impartiality of the law and the independence of the judiciary into question. So it's a difficult line to tread. It's not obvious, especially when you're confronting the combined weight of 
the entire Brazilian political system and the, the legacies of structures which have been corrupt for centuries and which are held in place by even by, by the current constitution. So how do you combat corruption? How do you take that on as, a, as an investigator, as a judge, uh, in a context in which there are so many enemies uh, arranged, arranged against you, which will try to shut down the investigation, which will try to limit it, and so on? I think what you ended up seeing uh, happening is that the Moro probably ended up following the path of least resistance. So, yes, it was politicized. Yes, he's played a very strong and important media game in terms of drumming up public support for the investigation, keeping it in the public eye such that if someone attempted to shut it down, that there would be outcry because it would all be in the public eye. Ultimately, you need thoroughgoing political reform, which is able to completely overhaul the party system in Brazil. The Intercept says the leaks are merely the beginning of what will be an ongoing journalistic investigation. The reporters apparently have a massive amount of information. And let's be honest, who would come out squeaky clean having ears of their text messages scrutinized? If there's one thing we know about this latest twist of the Operation Car Wash soap opera, is that we have no idea how this is going to end. This podcast was written and prepared by me, Gustavo Ribeiro, and Ioan Marshall. Maria Marta Bruno produced this show. If you like this podcast, rate us on any platform you may be listening to Explaining Brazil. It takes only a second, but it is really important for us. Many people ask me how they can support this show, and the best way to do it is by subscribing to The Brazilian Report, the journalistic engine behind this podcast. Every day we have new content about Brazilian politics, finance, and society. We've also got exclusive newsletter services if you want to be briefed about what's going on in Brazil before starting your day. Subscribe now for a free trial and enjoy all of our content for seven days. And it's really free. You don't have to submit any credit card information whatsoever. Just go to brazilian.report slash subscribe. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Our handle is at Brazilian Report. And that's all for now. See you next week.